Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is April 17, 2013, and this is episode 1113 of the Survival Podcast, 1113, and we have just a, a blast doing the interview that you guys are about to hear. I'm about to bring on, after the housekeeping, Teresa Horde of Quartz Ridge Ranch, Uh, this it goes back a while. Last year, I found out about something called fodder systems. Somebody sent me a, a product that grew fodder, and it was like thousands of dollars to grow basically barley and wheat into grass uh, in an aquaponics or actually a hydroponics style system. And, uh, you know, I thought this sounds cool, but it also sounds ridiculous that it would cost $10,000 for uh, a system to, to turn wheat into grass because wheat kind of turns into grass pretty easy so i started digging around for you guys i found this place called quartz ridge ranch and they've done a lot of work with fodder system they've built them themselves fraction of the cost and uh they've charted everything that they've done to show you how to do it yourself and they're feeding a large variety of uh animals they're feeding uh, american guinea hogs dairy goats muscovy ducks chickens and geese all on fodder uh, a very large portion and some of the animals almost all of their diet coming from fodder And I uh, reached out to them, and uh, today's interview is a result of kind of that research and follow-up. So we'll have Teresa on in just a moment, and uh, just the kind of person that, uh, you know, fits right in with the TSP audience, I can tell you that right now. Before I bring her on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. If you want all the things you could possibly want to live that tactical lifestyle, Check out Sawtooth Tactical. If you wonder why they're called Sawtooth, it's because they're in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and they take good care of you guys. They have for a long time. They also offer a discount to uh, member support brigade members. Make sure before you order from Sawtooth, if you're in the MSB, you check for your discount code. And uh, they have everything. Magpul magazines. They have uh, Maxpedition equipment. You name it, they've got it. The awesome titanium spork. Check them out today. SawtoothTactical.com. Next up today, uh, KnifeKits.com. Check out KnifeKits if you have ever wanted to know how to build your own knives. And you're thinking, I don't have time to learn how to forge steel or whatever. You don't have to. I mean, you can go there and get a kit knife. Uh, choose some handle material, maybe even get a book and or a DVD if you need some help. And with some basic hand tools and a little bit of time, you can learn to do the final fit and finish and make knives custom to the, you know, to something that you would really, uh, like and have that's unique. And they're not expensive either. But let's say you're a master bladesmith and you're like, I don't want that. Then you can get the most exotic, coolest, uh, raw materials you could ever think of at knifekits.com. Check them out today. KnifeKits.com. And again, uh, KnifeKits also offers a discount for the MSB. Not all of our sponsors here have a pricing structure where they can. Most of them, though, do offer an MSB discount. Uh, to check for MSB discounts before you buy, whether it's from our sponsors or any of the other supporting vendors, log into your members area and click on Benefits. That's where all of the companies are listed and their discount programs are there and the discount codes and how to claim your discounts there as well. 
which is a nice segue into the MSB. If you want to support this show at about 18.3 cents an episode, and you want to do it in a way where you'll get 100% return on your investment, if you're buying stuff, the self-sufficiency, self-reliance, gardening, long-term food storage world every year, the discounts will add up and pay you back many times over. And Military Law Enforcement Peace Corps, active duty and prior service, you guys get a discount. I also extend this to first responders like EMTs and firefighters and paramedics. Email me before you join. Put service discount in the subject line, and uh, I will respond to you with a discount code and tell you how you can sign up and get an even better deal uh, than everybody else gets just because I'm thanking you for your service. Uh, member support brigade, for those that are new to the show, is the way that I pay the bills around here. Uh, it's about 50 bucks a year unless you get a discount as a first responder. And uh, provides discounts to over 40 different vendors. There's some unique content that's available nowhere else. Uh, and it's really just chock full of value. And I continue to work to increase the value in the MSB. Uh, just about every month I try to bring something new to the MSB to continue to increase the value of it. Uh, last but not least, get on over to the Walking to Freedom Forum. Become part of that. And uh, TSP Mint uh, is back up and running. There may be a few glitches here and there. We're actually doing a server migration right now. We've moved the site in a backup configuration, so you may uh, end up on tspmoving.com or something like that, and that's okay. It's just as we're uh, migrating the site to uh, a better server to provide better service. And uh, if you have any pending orders from TSP Mint, uh, they should be filled and on the way to you or already in your hands. If that's not the case, let me know, and I shall make sure that it happens for you. With that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up and uh, ready to go ahead and uh, and introduce our special guest today. Again, her name is uh, Teresa Horde. She runs Quartz Ridge Ranch along with her husband and her children. It's a small heritage breed ranch located in Georgetown, California. The property's 100% off-grid. They raise dairy goats, American guinea hogs, muscovy ducks, chickens, and geese. And uh, they have really kind of perfected and, and got this fodder system running right. I thought it was something that a lot of you guys out there raising animals from you know just a few chickens to those with, uh, with herds of goats or anything larger than that even might be uh, really interested in. So I've got her lined up with you, with you guys today. And with that, hey, Teresa, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, so your uh, your place is called Quartz Ridge Ranch. Uh, you guys are a small heritage breed ranch located in Georgetown, California. You guys are also 100% off-grid. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting because I have you on to talk about fodder systems today, which is something I found out about late last year. And, uh, you know, you're off-grid, so there's, like, some of these systems I've seen are, like, you know, all kinds of electrical stuff built into them. And also, obviously, you're probably not doing that. But just for the people that maybe didn't hear the show I did back where I started bringing this up, can you tell people what a fodder system even is? Sure. Um, a fodder system is a hydroponic growing system for animals, and you can use um, barley seed, wheat seed. Um, some people use um Sunflower seeds, it just depends on what you are growing for. And the system usually takes um, from start to finish seven days to get a full-grown mat of fodder, um, and that includes the roots and the actual shoots from the seeds. Okay. Um, what are the basic environmental requirements to be able to do this successfully? Sure. Um, the We have a controlled environment. Um, you want to keep your fodder system room at about 65 degrees. 
and you want to keep your hum humidity kind of low um, due to mold issues if it's too high, um, you're going to need clean water and clean containers um, to grow your fodder in. Um, other than that, it can be grown in a, a basement like we do, in a shed with some type of air conditioning or a heater. Uh, it could be grown in your house, which I don't recommend, but some people do. Um, so it's pretty much adjustable to what you have available on hand. So that's part of how you deal with the environmental controls and the, the temperature mediation without using a lot of energy as you're using the ground for temperature mediation. Correct. Yeah, we do. Um, we're up at 3,600 feet, so we are in snow country. Okay. So during the wintertime, we have a propane heater that runs. Um, but it doesn't cost us too much to run, and um, it's only during those real, real cold uh, days and nights that we have to keep that going. Um, what are the components of the system? How, how do you put one together? Um, okay, so we started off by doing some research online on the big fodder systems that are the pretty much plug-and-play, as I call them. They come in big containers or trailers. Um, they have automatic watering. They have uh, temperature control. And they're uh, expensive. Very <laughs> expensive. Those ones start pretty much about 9000 and can get up to about 45000 So that's not in our price range. <laughs> and we're Not mine either. Okay. So we took um, uh, what we had learned from those systems and made it adaptable for our situation. So we purchased the trays that um, – were used in those systems, which you can buy at any nursery, and we drilled holes in them. And then uh, we used pretty much a drip system tubing to water on a daily basis, um, and then a drainage so the water can go back out. And most people either recycle it, which I think is uh, not the best idea because it can it'll recycle what is taken off the seeds back into your system and can cause mold, but you can also have it drain out into your garden like we do. So it's recycling water. Well, and it's also probably when you do it that way, you're, you're actually taking some nutrient flow into your, into your garden. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, so what, what, what exactly do you guys sprout? I mean, do you do a mix? Do you have a, a certain preferred seed that you do this with? Yeah, we use uh, barley seed. It's most, it seems to be most readily available to us um, on the West Coast. I know some people on the East Coast have a hard time finding it, and some people also use wheat. Um, from my research, they're very comparable to, um, you know, you can use one or the other, whatever is available and whatever is cheaper. You know, you want to keep your cost down on your seeds because that's going to keep your cost down on when you go to feed it to your animals. Have you noticed, like, is there, is there, is this just really a high quality nutrition or is there uh, an economic gain to be had by feeding fodder versus grain? I think it's both. Okay. Uh, fodder is, it's at its nutritional prime when you feed it. And so it has all of the vitamins and nutrients that can be taken out, like if it's dried for hay. Um, and so, when we feed it to our animals, they're getting all of that good stuff, and it's easily digestible for them compared to hay, which takes down, uh, takes a little bit longer to digest. Yeah, and I, I mean, part of the way I look at it, too, is if you look at any grain, uh, a wheat, a barley, whatever, there's certain components of that grain that exist to actually say, don't eat me. 
Right. Right. It's like, don't eat me. I'm not, cause it doesn't have, like, if I eat an apple, then I might actually propagate apples with waste or a, an animal might do the same thing. But if you eat a wheat berry or a, a barley kernel, it's gone. So the barley kernels and wheat berries, as far as nature's wisdom, don't wish to be consumed. They wish to fall to the ground and propagate the species. Correct. So you, when you when you eat a, a grain kernel, you're eating something that says "Don't eat me," and I think that can lead into some autoimmune and inflammatory issues with people and animals. I agree. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, what kind of response? Because you know, in the end, it's always about well, what does the what does the uh, the customer think, right? So the customer in this case is chickens and goats and pigs. What do they think of the results here? Um, they eat it like it's candy. Um, I have no problem feeding it to them. Um, when we bring it down down to the pastures, they're waiting at the fence and tearing it apart before I can get it up over the fences. Um, I've noticed that um, my chickens prefer to eat it at not at a full growth rate, not at that seven day mark, but just as it sprouted tends to be a little easier for them. Cause they're, I mean, if you think about chickens, chickens don't eat long blades of grass and no. so you're going to want to feed them, you know, maybe at that third day. Um, and so it's just sprouted. It has all the good nutrients in it and it's easy to digest for them. For our rabbits, we have meat rabbits. We feed them fodder. Um, and they eat all the way, you know, roots all the way up to the grass, the blades of grass. Um, our goats, um, we also, we feed our goats fodder, but we also give them a little bit of dried hay also. Um, because of their rumens, they need to have that dry, leafy, uh, stemmy, uh, feed to push sure. the wet matter through. So it's an important thing to remember when you're feeding uh, goats. Um, but like sheep, sheep can eat, you know, roots all the way to sprouts. Um, our horses eat it too. So, and they all look great. We've had a really good success rate of keeping their weight on through the winter and, um, and our feed costs pretty low too. How much of their diet would you say fodder makes up of your different animals? I would say probably 80 to 100%. Really? Yeah. Wow. It just depends on the animal. You know, the ones that are, you know, omnivores, of course, you're going to want to give them uh, animal protein along with, you know, your your plant protein. So I, would say I mean, in animals like chickens, they're going to eat other things. So you, right. you know, you have to put them in a cage suspended in midair to keep them from eating other stuff. So right. they're going to get up other things. Yeah, and we free range our rabbits and our we have Muscovy ducks that we raise for meat also, and they're out and about too. What do the, the Muscovies think of the fodder? I've really, I mean, they're such an easy animal. I've never really even given much thought to feeding them. They they tend to, you know, in where I grew up in Florida, every right. apartment <laughs> complex with a pond had a thousand of them that just looked after themselves and ate bread that people threw them. Right. It's just the wrong thing for them to eat. Sure, sure. <laughs> they they fatten up really quickly on the fodder. We have one that keeps sneaking down into our fodder room and uh, we'll come out and lift them up after a couple days and they're good to go. <laughs> so he goes down into the fodder room? Yeah, he sneaks in there. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, ducks are smarter than I think people give them credit for. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> um, 
what animals can you feed, and, and what are the proper ways to supplement when you're you're feeding? Because you said some of them might eat 100%, and some of them don't. So, I mean, you give us kind of because you got a bunch of stuff. You got goats, you got ducks. I, I, the one picture here, I think I see a goose in the background. I'm not yes. sure if that's a goose or not. <laughs> so, you know, what's eating the fodder? What is doing 100% fodder? What is having to get other things? Sure, um, our goats are at that 80 uh, percent mark um, they also get either alfalfa or grass hay and um, they go for the fodder first usually um, my goats are milk goats so on the stand I give them a mixture of some dried grains to keep them busy while milking but also um, to give them a little bit more calcium while they're milking so I use like black oil sunflower seeds um, or an organic feed or flaxseed works really well for them too. Now, like the black oil, are you just feeding them the seed straight, or are you are you foddering that at all? Um, I feed it to them straight. We we're starting to do a little bit more research on other types of seeds now that we've kind of gotten our system up and running. Now we can experiment a little more. So that'll probably be our next one is the sunflower seeds. And then our our horses, uh, or horse now, she gets um, just fodder. Um, during the winter time, I'll give her a little bit of uh, of a horse feed, um, just because she's older, and I want to make sure she's you know keeping weight on. But she can live off fodder 100%. Um, our chickens, like I said, they're omnivores, so you want your chickens to to eat the fodder and then also be free range and go get bugs and worms and everything else that they go searching for. Um, rabbits, they're, they're on fodder. Um, we kind of slowly moved them from grain to fodder because they were on grain when we purchased them. Um, but we're going to try to start some experiments with some of their Kindles um, going 100% fodder to see if we can decrease our costs at the end of the um, time when they're processed. And there are geese. Geese eat grass, so geese get 100% of of the fodder, um, and they love it. We'll give them one big fodder mat, and they'll pick through it throughout the day until it's pretty much gone. And like I said, the Muscovy ducks like to sneak into the fodder room, so they're definitely uh, they're Big lovely. fans. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Have you thought about like, I mean, um, and I'm trying to find it right now so I can actually tell you what's in it because I don't remember off the top of my head, but maybe for the chickens doing things that are a little bit more of a mix. I know Peaceful Valley Farms makes a, a chicken fodder uh, seed mix, and I know there's some, some clover and things like that in there. Have you thought about maybe trying some things like that? Yeah, actually, Peaceful Valley is pretty local to us. We go over there on a regular basis. Um, but I've, I have looked at a couple of their uh, varieties, and it's something that we'll we'll be looking into. Like I said, we've we've just kind of gotten it to the point where we're we like our system that it, how it is, and it's working, and we're getting good uh, weights off of it. And so now it's time to experiment. And um, I think we'll definitely use that because um, I like the the mix, and I like that it's organic too. I know chickens go nuts over the sprouted uh, sunflowers because we feed so much of that to just the local birds, right. and under any feeder. Uh, where you you get birds being wasteful, you end up with little sunflower plants growing, and very few of them ever make it past a couple inches. Because uh, as soon as the chickens hit that area, man, they're gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they definitely enjoy it. So it'd probably be something that we'll be looking into as we can, can you kind of talk about like the the feed conversion ratios here with weight, like? So when we have one tray of the fodder, like I see on your website, I imagine that's actually quite heavy uh, when it's when it's grown out. Uh, and what, what what kind of uh, you know how much seed is going in there to produce in, in weight to come up with uh, you know your your block of fodder? 
Um, we soaked our seeds in a bucket before we put it into our trays. So every day we were filling six trays of um, of the seed. And I believe we started out with about a one pound of seed would give us about an 11-pound tray. 11 one-pound trays? So one pound of seed, of of dry seed, once it's yep. soaked, will give us an 11-pound fully grown tray. Okay, so you're going to 1 to, one to 11 ratio there with, with weight. And obviously there's some differences in the way the nutrients are, are, are transferred and all. And there's some water there, but it's a significant yield. The reason I ask is I had Joel Salton on it one time, and he was talking about doing this thing for chickens. I don't think he was quite sprouting it to the level of a fodder system, mm-hmm. but it was just giving them kind of where they start to turn green. Yep. And he was talking about how much of the gain you actually get in, in the weight of the feed, so you feed less. And I imagine you've noticed that you're feeding less feed than if you weren't sprouting it. Right. We've actually done some modifications to the fodder system that we have, um, original fodder system. And we're using um, – we changed it because the trays were breaking down pretty quickly. And the okay. trays getting to be about two dollars to two dollars and fifty cents a tray, and once they're cracked, you you can't contain your seeds as well when the water comes in. So we did some research and we decided to go with gutters from like a home improvement store. Interesting. So one end, you still have to keep it to where one end's a little higher than the other side, and you drip you know drip line in on one end. You put your seeds in, the water flows all the way down, and there's a drain with a filter on the other end so you don't lose your seeds. And that way we don't have to replace any component besides the seeds. Oh, wow. That, you're going to have to get that on, on your blog because I just Google, I just uh, searched for gutter on your blog, and I didn't see it yet. So yeah. i, I got to see that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we're just, we just finished it, so we're doing a little bit of cleanup, and I'll definitely get that on there. Th- that's awesome, though, because that's a product that's meant – to constantly be exposed to water and outside elements. I mean, this is a cakewalk for gutter. So you're probably using, uh, are you using like a plastic gutter or an aluminum? Uh, we're using the vinyl. The vinyl, the vinyl. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're ending up with long strips instead of big mats. Yeah, and it, it really is no different. You're still no. going to weigh it to feed it. I've fed chickens plenty of things, and they've never really complained about aesthetics. Right. <laughs> What? Yeah, it's not like my kid where I could, when I was a little guy, if I cut the sandwich the wrong way, you wouldn't eat it. Chicken doesn't care. Right, right. So <laughs> for our for our growth cycle um, right now, we're using seven pounds of seed to fill two 20-foot gutter trays. And um, it turns into about 60 pounds of fodder by the end of it. Wow. Can you talk about how much an, an, an individual animal is, is utilizing here? So, I mean, obviously a, a chicken is going to eat less than, a, you know, a 60-pound goat. So kind of how much fodder are you giving to your different animals? You usually want to go 1% to 2% of your animal. Okay. So um, we, have, we raise American guinea hogs, um, and they're a heritage breed hog that um, originally were pasture-raised. And so that's kind of what started our fodder was to give these guys pastures in a place that we can't grow nice, lush pastures. And so we give our uh, breeding sows and breeding boars about 2% of their body weight to keep it, um, to keep their condition. For the, the babies and the weaners, we tend to give them as much as we possibly can um, so that they are growing at a healthy weight. Um, but for like the dairy goats, you know, you're going to do about 2% to 
um, to keep their body condition. And it all depends. You know, if you have a small area where they're not walking around or running around a lot, you're you're not going to have to feed them as much as if you have a larger paddock for them, for them, you know, to use up that energy. Um, oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Uh, so, you know, we don't really weigh our chicken stuff or rabbits right now or our geese. It's mostly what we weigh is our, our hogs, um, the horse, and our goats. What I was going to say is I have a lot of listeners that – do a lot of free ranging or paddock shift. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, obviously they would have a lower feed requirement, which is nice. Yep. But, but how do you see this working as maybe an adjunct in those types of systems to provide like a nutritional boost? Yeah. Well, if they're pregnant, if the animal is pregnant or lactating, um, instead of giving them grain or, um, any other additional nutrients that they need, like a calcium supplement, they can use the fodder. Um, you know, to feed that to them. Also, you know, most people aren't going to have, um, be able to do those rotations during wintertime. And so I know some folks that just grow fodder from like October, November until February, March when they get their pastures back. Mm. So they're not having to spend the money on feed over those months, but they're still giving their animals fresh, green, lush grass. Absolutely. And what, what, would, what are you paying basically for barley? I mean, it's, it's not real expensive, especially when you're getting an 11 to 1 ratio. Right. So um, where we get our barley, it's about 38 cents a pound, um, I, which is about $19 for a 20-pound bag. Um, I've heard it be more expensive through different companies. Um, we're in California, so we're um, – I think the price is a little cheaper here, surprisingly. Um, but when we do 38 cents a pound and we're using 17 pounds of feed or seed to get 110 pounds of feed at the end of it, you know, we're, we're at like six cents a pound for feed by the, by the time we go feed it to our animals. And it's, you know, it's not certified organic, but you know exactly what's going into that seed. It's water. So you don't have to, you know, you're not worried about any. I love the way you said that. It's water. <laughs> you know, I almost, I almost felt the eyes roll when you said it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's such a simple concept that it, you know, I I really am a proponent for people trying it um, for themselves and saving themselves a little bit of money and and not having, I know, organic feed. We try to do as much organic feed as we possibly can on our ranch and it can get very expensive. So this is something that's enabled us to um, keep our costs low, but still feed good quality uh, food to our animals, which in turn, you know, we eat or drink from those animals. So, you know, and even if you are uh, using conventional barley, um, there's at least so far, there's no GMO barley. Correct. Right. So you, you just by buying, you know, even a conventional crop, by buying something that they haven't yet genetically modified, you're out of that realm. Right. Right. Um, and you want to make sure when you ask for the seed that um, it's for growing um, and not for eating because there's there's a couple different types. Um, we made the mistake one time to buy barley and it ended up being a seed barley instead of a seed barley. And it's super dirty. Um, we had to clean it up. Uh, pretty good and the sprout ratio was pretty low so it's something to do your research on before you pick up a bag Um, and you also want to make sure that it's not treated with anything 
Um, and, and so far, we really haven't found any barley that has been, but it's always the question I ask before I purchase just to make sure. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and the other thing that you said the evil do a lot of is wheat, and they tried, but they got enough pushback that we don't have uh, GMO wheat either yet. So to me, you've got that, plus then you've got a manure product that you know you're not dealing with um, uh, persistent herbicide contaminants because you can only accumulate so much in the kernel of the grain, and then when you're growing it out, you don't have that. So now you've got a a valid, usable uh, manure fertility that doesn't damage your land. Correct, yeah. And then, like, when we were talking about doing different mixes for chickens and stuff, no one's GMO'd clover yet, thank God. Now, they've done it with alfalfa. Which to right. me is just why? Why would you do anything like that? I I don't even get it, but but they have. But at least for the time being, there are some things we can do this with that we know we take that out of the equation. Correct, and that's why um, we've tried to cut back on our alfalfa hay as much as possible. I really like alfalfa hay for our dairy goats, but because of the calcium levels and the protein levels, but. Um, I don't want to risk the GMO, so we try to keep it with grass haze and then supplement, like I said, the flax or the, the black oil sunflower seeds to get that nutrients back in them. Here, I just I finally found this 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 chicken mix that uh, Peaceful Valley does. Just mm-hmm. give you a laundry list of what's in there. And I I think this sounds like a pretty good mix with the alfalfa we just brought up, though. Um, it's uh, a couple different kinds of ryegrass, flax, buckwheat, um, Japanese millet, red clover. Strawberry clover, some alfalfa, landino clover, and uh, broadleaf uh, trefoil. That that sounds pretty interesting. It does. The the thing you're going to have to be careful with is everything has a different sprouting time. Yeah. <laughs> if you have like um, the flaxseed takes a little bit longer, and it also turns into kind of a gel. I don't know if you've ever dealt with. I, I've never sprouted flax, so I'm yeah. not sure. It's like a hair gel almost when it's done. So that's all going to get kind of washed into your sprout mix. Yeah. You can have ones that'll sprout after a couple days and some that'll sprout, you know, in five days or um, the temperature, you know, you want to keep it at 65 for barley, but maybe, um, you know, the clover. Buckwheat does not germinate well at 65 degrees. It likes to be up to 75 degree range. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. So, but you can pick things out of that and, 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 you know, and try it that kind of mix. So they get a variety of things, but my, my chickens are, you know, free ranging. So, um, I'm doing it just to supplement pretty much through winter for them and yep. to keep their egg laying going. And we also have meat chickens that, uh, we raise freedom Ranger freedom ranger meat chickens. So that's something we're working with them on eating fodder to decrease the organic feed that we're have to, um, feed them. And it, you know, gives us a little higher profit margin too. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking a mix like I just read off is probably a better uh, in-the-ground mix. So you, you, mm-hmm. you bring your chickens through with either paddock or tractors, and then you seed behind them as they prep the soil for you. Yeah. And by the time that area is grown out, put them back through it. And now you're doing kind of like a fodder system in, in, in the ground mm-hmm. instead of in hydroponics. Yep. And that would get around a lot of those issues you brought up. And I'm glad you brought the Freedom Rangers. Um, I've been looking into doing more birds for meat. Uh-huh. And I have no problem using dual-purpose birds. Uh, this year I'm playing around with Egyptian faomis, which are a smaller bird, but very, very hardy, very good foragers. I don't like the Cornish crosses. Nope. I don't, I don't like a chicken that on day 38 looks at me and says, please kill me. 
I don't. I just I feel like you because the other side of that is if I want to raise fifty birds, pretty much I have a day where I have to process fifty birds. Correct. Right. So if I have a a breed that I can process two this week, five next week, and process them as I because the best way to store meat is on the on the on the hoof or on the feathered, in my okay. opinion, because I don't have to worry about preserving it. Then the animal functions and gets bigger, and it's like having a timber crop. If I don't harvest it this year, I just get more next year. Correct. Um, so. The Freedom Rangers, I, I, I don't know a lot about them. I just subscribed to Backyard Poultry. Okay. And it was the first time I ever heard about them. What can you tell me about Freedom Rangers? Um, so far, we've, we really like them compared to the Cornish Crosses. Um, I call the Cornish Crosses uh, Franken-Chicken. Absolutely. I feel like they're, they've been modified so much that all they are able to do is put their head in the feeder. Um, I mean, you'll you'll see ones with broken legs that'll still keep laying down in the feeder eating. Um, that just grosses me out. So yeah. the Freedom Rangers uh, tend to be a little bit, or not a little bit, a lot more active. Um, we have, um, ours are about three weeks old now. Um, the growth rate's a little slower, but I'm okay with that. I don't need something that, you know, is going to split their you know, skin open growing so fast or have some type of organ failure because they're growing so fast. But these guys are, are friendly. They eat, they drink, they're flying around. They're very active. And we're going to be getting ours out um, outside out of the brooder probably this week at week four and let them uh, free range uh, within a, con- you know, controlled environment so that we don't have any losses. But then also they'll get fodder, too. And see how fast they can grow up on fodder. Um, and they can live, they live longer than the Cornish crosses. You know, the Cornish crosses, they hit that, what is it, eight, eight, nine week mark and their bodies start breaking down. And with Freedom Rangers, I haven't raised them to that point of, of over, um, the processing dates, but they, they're functional chickens still. And I know people who have them who lay eggs. Um, and are still considered chickens. <laughs> oh wow! I, I didn't even know that they could go that far. I knew they kind of they they do seem to reach a point of diminishing returns at, at some point too. Yeah. But if they if they're doing that, it would seem like over time you could almost develop a strain of them that retained a lot of the fast growth. And so maybe there's work to be done there yet. Yeah, I think that Freedom Ranger. I mean, it's it's one family I believe that has put this together. So I think they've done a good job of. I believe it's four different. Uh, types of chickens that they use and to four different breeds to, to make the Freedom Ranger. And um, so far, I mean, we've been super happy with them and they'll have a nice amount of meat on them. And, um, and they have, you know, full feathers. They're not like the Cornishes that don't have a lot of feathers on them. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's going to be kind of the new up and coming breed of chicken for uh, farms that are more focused on the health of their animals. Pastured poultry, all organic, that type of thing. Right. And they do take longer, but it's it's not that much longer. And there's a certain level of a quality in the end product. And um, again, there's just certain a level of ethics. The the the, right. the Cornish crosses are not a genetically modified bird, but they've been so selectively bred for so long. It's just not a natural, and I know some people that keep them, and I don't think you're a bad person to keep them, and don't get mad at me, but to me, it's just not a natural thing for an animal, you know, 38 days out of the brooder to have its legs snap because it walked. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and the amount of food they eat is just amazing. So we're going to really 
kind of keep some accurate notes on these guys to see if we can raise them up on fodder to cut our feed costs and, you know, or like if someone had pastures, can they raise them up on pastures without having to them to give grower pellets too? Yeah. And it's a great, you know, for a small homestead that, you know, chickens aren't really the greatest conversion ratio like rabbits are, but if people want chickens, I think this might be a good one to have. So you're not pumping in a lot of money on them. Yeah, I agree. I think the only negative I can come up with on them is it's not a simplistic process to reproduce them. So you would be dependent on a source for your, your boilers every year, Correct. but they're cheap too. I mean, it's not like they're $10 a piece or something. Right, right. And they're pretty hardy. Um, it was pretty cold when they came in and they were all done fine. We have not had one loss out of 50. And my friend who just oh, wow. did the Cornish crosses, she lost, I think, 10 out of her 50 on the first two weeks. Oh wow, that's 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 it. Now see, there's the part that doesn't get included in all the numbers they give you, right? Uh, Somebody died, and then you, when you see people trying to raise them in warmer climates through the summer and trying to tractor them, it's they get a lot of losses. Yeah, because it's so hot. Yeah, and they just can't handle it because they're well, they're growing. Like I said, you know, about forty days into it, they're looking at you begging for death. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only that's the only upside. That you don't feel bad about killing one. Right. There's no remorse whatsoever. It's the kindest thing you could do to the animal. And I noticed you're brooding in uh, basically IBC totes sawed in half. Yep, that's what we do. Yeah, it, those things have come in handy. We use them as uh, shelters. We cut open uh, uh, the front of them and uh, leave a little lift at the bottom and fill it up with hay, and that can be a goat shelter or uh, a hog shelter. Um, and then we used them for our drainage for our fodder system in the beginning. And then we were able to, uh, plumb it to go outside to the garden. And, and now we use them for our brooders. And it's, it's great. They wash out nice. You can clean them out and sanitize them with a little hydrogen peroxide or vinegar and reuse them. So it's worked out nicely for the, for the price. You're giving me an idea for a whole new episode, you know, 20 uses for an IBC <laughs> totally. Tub. Because, I, I, I mean, the only thing I've ever really thought about up till now is using them for aquaponic systems, which a lot of people do. But uh -huh. you're starting to open the engineering mind and all of the different things that we could do. I noticed you're also uh, raising some lavender orpentons this year. That's yeah. the yeah. cutest little chick I've ever seen. Yeah, they're not a heritage breed, um, but we've, we've noticed that there's kind of a demand in our area for pretty chickens. And so um, I really like the lavender Orpingtons, and they're they're not an uh, APA standard bird for the U.S., but they are over in um, in Europe. And so I decided to try my hand on it. And had a horrible hatch rate, which happens sometimes. So we're down to out of I think two dozen. I had five that ended up hatching at the end of it. So um, oh, you bought eggs? That's right. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like really I like doing our eggs. You know, especially for our own Delawares or Jerseys. You know, it saves money. You know, you don't sure. go out and buy new ones and um, you know buy a rooster every once in a while from a different line and you're good to go. So. Yeah, I'm playing with Faomis this year, Egyptian Faomis, and one was just a straight Faomi. The other was called a, a cinnamon silver. Uh, and as they've started to color out, they're the same. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, you can almost not tell the difference anymore. But what I've learned about them is I have these. I put. A, I have a little video I shot this morning. I need to get up on YouTube this afternoon. And uh, I got eight of them just to, to see what I would get. And I got six roosters. Oh no! Uh, and at four weeks, it's obvious they're roosters already. 
Um, I, I would say at three weeks, it was obvious which ones were the roosters. That's kind of nice, because then you know who to call. Yeah, um, but I've got all all six of them this morning running around at only four weeks, four and a half weeks, trying to crow. Oh. It's the most pathetic attempt at a crow you've ever heard, but I've never seen a chicken that would try it even that young. And they've been doing it for a week now. So you're talking three and a half weeks, these things are like, they're like, a, and that's it. That's all I can get out. And they look like, they almost look fully grown, except they're in miniature. They look like a bantam. Are they a bantam? I've, I've never no, no, they look, as I'm saying, like, they're only four weeks old, so they look like a bantam chicken already. <laughs> I mean, they're almost completely filled out, except the spurs aren't all the way in or anything. Yeah. But and I'm a, I'm wondering how long I'll be able to let them cohabitate because they're already starting to duke it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You have to separate them out. Oh, that's funny. But I, it's just cute. His little thing standing up on a, a rock, and he's. You know, I'll put the video. You'll have to look at it. But the reason I decided to try those is I live in a hot climate. These things are from Egypt. They're a smaller bird, but they can handle the heat, and they're supposed to have a really fast growth rate. Apparently, they have a pretty quick maturity rate, too, right. uh, which right. I'm getting out of them. And they're a cool-looking bird. Yeah, I'd be curious when the when the when they start laying, too, if they're any earlier than the 20 weeks. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, too. Now, So I've only got two hens, so I'll have to uh, make five of them into curry. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, select one rooster out of the group. So whichever one is the least hostile toward me will get to stick around. Yeah. I've, I've got a bunch of uh, sex link uh, brown layers. Oh, okay. Those are wonderful. Yeah, they're 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 great. They're growing like crazy. Those things are monstrous already. I had a chicken tractor that's about two feet deep, and I think they were only about three and a half weeks old. And I had these pallets on the top of it as I was moving them around and getting them ready to let them out more free as they got bigger. The biggest thing I'm afraid of when they're little is my cat. Uh-huh. And, uh, I left the pallet off for a couple seconds, and I come back, and one's sitting up on top of the tractor looking at me. So <laughs> they, they, they move along pretty quick, too. Yeah. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, you have 40 acres, but you're only using about five, you told me. Right now, People yeah. People that are looking at things like what you're doing and saying, I'd love to be that person one day. What are your thoughts on, you know, getting started, finding property, gaining access, that type of thing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing you're going to want to look at is a water source. I think that's that's where we've had our issues. Um, we bought before we even thought we'd have any of this. Um, and so... Uh, make sure you got a good well or a, you know a spring or a, some kind of stream or river going through your property. Um, I am pretty rural. Um, we are way at the very end of a road, so and I like it that way because sure. I have livestock guardian dogs to protect my animals, and I don't have to worry about them barking too much and disrupting my neighbors. Um, you know, 40 acres. We're on. You know, we're in the mountains, so we have hills, um, and so. I think that if you're really, you know, it just depends on what area you're in. If you're in California or, you know, um, Midwest where it's pretty much flat, it depends on what you're looking to raise and um, and what you want to get out of your property. You know, we're not going to be able to grow a bunch of crops up there, um, but we can have a small garden and make it work. Um, with short, we have a shortened growing season because we're at 3,600 feet. So, you know, someone who is really into growing their own, um, crops might want to be a little bit lower in the valley somewhere, you know, to get property. But for 40 acres in California, the only place we could go was rural and up. And so that's why we ended up up there. But I would say the, the water is the biggest thing and, and, you know, your power source. So we, when we first bought the uh, property, my husband and I were driving down the dirt road 
And I'm like, okay, this isn't too bad. You know, I'm, I'm from Orange County. So this is like so way different than what I grew up with. <laughs> and we're driving and we hit the last power pole and I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's go see. And we're driving and driving and we're about a mile and a half away from the last power pole and we pull into this property and, and it's beautiful. It's got, you know, it was, pretty much untouched other than the, the person who lived there before. And um, he selectively logged most of it. So it looked nice and wasn't overused. And, um, you know, so then we started doing research on our solar systems and we were able to, he had actually um, a couple uh, very ingeniously made generators and some uh, car batteries and an inverter from Radio Shack that he used to power the place. Um, but we were in it for the long run, so we invested in a, a full solar system. Okay, cool. And, I mean, do, is this your primary income, the, the ranch itself? Do you guys have a secondary source? I mean, because I get a lot of people saying, Jack, I want to become a farmer and, and, and do it as a profession. And I, I'm always like, you really need to think about this before you – fully commit. I agree. My husband works, um, he's a firefighter down in, at Sac Metro Fire, um, down in Sacramento. So it is, um, it's a labor of love up here. <laughs> and so when he's at work, it's, I'm in charge of the ranch and the kids and, and homeschooling. And, um, and then when he comes home, it's, I, we joke that it's his first job up here and the other job pays the bills. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think you would be able to make an income um, off of what we're doing. We make, you know, we make enough to, to feed our family um, with the animals we have and um, able to give our kids a great life and a great experience. Um, and we can share with our community, and that's the biggest thing towards uh, for us is to be able to, you know, give eggs to our friends and family and some meat birds and make a little money off there, too. I mean, on that note, the one thing I've tried to advise people is if you're going to build a system that you do want to make the lion's share of your income from, that doing it in the I'm going to be a farmer mentality of I'm going to grow food and sell peppers and tomatoes and corn is probably not the way to do it, that I would look to, and I just answered a question yesterday on this, you know, creating a an educational system that's a source of income from a productive standpoint that the protein products like animals are going to outproduce um, any kind of a vegetable product. Correct. You know, yeah. I mean, and then there's like, okay, so like if you harvest your corn, you got to sell it at the market rate at the time corn's harvested because you can't keep it, right? But if you have chickens and the price is down, you as long as you're not doing Franken chickens, or you, you can wait two weeks till the, the market rate comes back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's in your experience is that because I, I have my own business. I don't have to make any money off my little farm here. Right. <laughs> I, so I don't even think that way. And then I'm advising people and I always try to sanity check that with someone that's actually living life. Yeah, I think that you do have to be careful and not jump into it too quickly. You know, it's it's a huge startup. You're investing in, you know, the land, the animals, um, their shelters, their feed, and those costs grow pretty quickly. So if you don't have a you know, a primary income um, until you can, you know, slowly back off of that. I, I would not suggest jumping into it. Um, but, you know, I'm able to, you know, when we sell our American guinea hogs, we've been able to sell them enough that it's paying for their feed for the year. Okay. So, you know, that's a that's that's good for us um, because then we get meat off of it and we're able to make a little money too. 
Sure, right. you can make a little and supplement your, your your grocery bill so that you don't have one. Correct. Now, you're, and I think that that's like what I see is the returning model of of the American farm is more of uh, something that provides for you than provides for all your needs. Yeah, we we don't like keeping animals that don't really provide for us. I don't really, <laughs> you know, I, I of course you know there's the pets and our dogs and stuff, but. Um, Everyone really has a purpose there, and if they're, you know, whether it be milk or eggs or meat, they're they're bringing us some type of, <laughs> of you know, consumable. Absolutely, I think, and I do. I think more and more people, and I, I think the encouraging thing is how much you're doing, and you're really utilizing five acres because right. I, I, I just want to reinforce that because every time you bring somebody on like you, they go, "Well, she's got forty acres." Yeah, well, thirty-five of its trees on the side of a mountain that they're exactly. not using. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it a lot more easy for people to get their arms around if I can find a, a place with a few usable acres. I had I had five in the mountains of Arkansas, and about three quarters was usable. I've downscaled to three, but I can utilize almost every piece of ground except where the house is sitting. Right. And, and it's like having a hundred times more space. So it's about usable land mm-hmm. versus raw numbers of acres. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and and you're you're going to want to pick animals that are. are are able to use a smaller footprint. You know, the guinea hogs are not a five, six hundred pound hog. You know, they're 150 to 300 pounds. So they're not as hard on the, the land as some of the commercial hogs are. And so like you were talking about rotational grazing, you can do that with those because they sure. don't root as bad and they, you know, they're not as heavy on the ground. Um, you know, and gee, if, Oaks were common where you're at, man. Uh, that 35 acres, you can start paddocking them through there during the mast fall. Yep. Uh, wow. You know, you start thinking about acorn-fed hog, and it's just there's a reason uh, that a, a Serrano ham is like a thousand dollars or something like that by mail order. Something Iberico is the is the the Spanish black hog that they finish on acorns. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we all deal with what we can with where right. we're at. Right, and that's what we've done. And we've we've started slow and, you know, started with chickens and then slowly got the goats. And then our latest, latest endeavor was the rabbits, which I think should have been the first because those are the, the greatest return on your on your feed costs. Um, but it, it's nice to be able to say that I can, you know, raise my own meat and share with our community. Yeah, I mean, is there are there any things you would do differently as we wrap up here? Um, I, I'm sure there's a whole long list if you look back on things, but I think as far as looking for properties, um, make sure your water source is, is reliable because that's something that we're struggling with right now, trying to figure out how to deepen our well and um, possibly putting in an ag well so that everyone has water through the summer and we can grow a garden. Um, as far as animals go, make sure, you know, you're using the correct animal for your environment. It's, it's, you don't want to put, um, like I said, a large hog on a small piece of property and expect them to have a good, healthy life um, and not damage your soil. Um, And good breeding in your animals, too. You know, people kind of, they think that we're ridiculous spending, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars on a goat when um, you can buy one for a hundred bucks at an auction. But I know these goats are clean and disease-free, especially if you're drinking their milk. Um, 
and that they're going to give us offspring that, you know, will pay for their, you know, initial startup. Um, and, and, you know, the chickens and stuff, I think that's just pretty much a personal choice. <laughs> you can yeah. get whatever kind of chickens you like and try them out. Like, I think it's a great idea that you got the, the Egyptian ones because where you're living, it's nice and hot. You know, where we are during the wintertime, we need to make sure that they're cold hardy. So, sure. um, it, you know, it's, it's picking and choosing, you know, for your environment. Don't try to push, um, push it like, like the commercial people do, you know. Um, make sure that your animals are happy and healthy and they're going to give you back, you know, tenfold of what you put into them. Okay, last question. Out of all these, because you have as many different types of animals as anybody has ever had on the show, which ones are the most self-sufficient that you have? Which are the ones you do the least amount of work to take care of? The chickens. Really? Oh, yeah. I was going to guess it was the ducks. Oh, yeah, maybe the ducks. Do They kind of all go together. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't have them separated. They all kind of just do their thing. But, um, yeah, you know, the two-footed feathery ones are, are probably the easiest ones to raise and, the, and a great one to start out with because it's really, you know, having eggs for breakfast fresh out of the, the, the you know, the box, the nesting boxes, is, is, makes you kind of feel like a farmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And get you going, uh, and and makes the work around everywhere else, you know. I, I, I think I'm going to change your own answer though to the Muscovy ducks because you don't even have to bring the fodder out; they go get it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 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 there. Yeah, that that thing weighed quite quite a few pounds by the time we kicked them out. <laughs> okay. that's, that's awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us today. Your website is PortsRidgeRanch.com. Uh, and you have a WordPress blog of the same name, courtswoodsranch.wordpress.com. And I'll make sure I put links to both of those in the show notes uh, for today's show. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, Teresa. Thank you for being here with us on the Survival Podcast. Thank you. All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Teresa Horde, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.